Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. Really a continuation of all the other messages that we've been hearing over the course of uh, the month of August. Somebody say hallelujah. How many of you are excited to be in the presence of the, God, uh, of the Lord today? Amen. August is also a special month for me personally for a number of reasons. I was born in the month of August. I was married in the month of August. 16 years of grace and love and joy. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that a relationship is defined by how you respond to the love language of the other person. You know, my wife will tell you that I can be stubborn. But I've learned to not be so stubborn in some things over time. <laughs> in case you are wondering who my wife is, you can look in the direction of the choir. But what does that mean? It means that sometimes if somebody says, this is how I want to be loved, please don't try to interpret it in your own language. Just accept exactly what they've told you and love them that way. Somebody say hallelujah. All right. I didn't learn it easily, but I thank God for grace. And I'm still learning, as I'm sure she will tell you. Now, let's bring that to our relationship with God. God also has his own love language. How many of us know what God's language, love language is? Somebody said praise. I agree. What else? Worship, I agree. What else? Obedience. Thank you very much, sir. That's how you know pastors in the house. Obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my, my commandments. How many of us love Jesus? Is there anybody who did not raise their hand? Why are you in church if you, if you cannot say you love Jesus? Okay. So, Jesus, you know, some things are complicated. A lot of times we Christians, we really try to be very cute with our Christianity. We want to know the will of God. We want to know the will of God. God's will is not very hard to know, actually, because he has very clearly stated a few things. Let's just focus on two of those things today. The great commandment and the great commission. How many people love Jesus? Is it less hands this time? Or? Okay. So the great, the great commandment is simply, you know, they ask Jesus, again, 
in our cute way of our religion, our you know, religious mind. So, teacher, which of the greatest commandments? Which, of the great, which, of, which is the great commandment of the law? They were trying to get Jesus with te- technicalities. After all, there are ten commandments. Which one of them is the greatest? But Jesus knew where they were going. He knew the intent of their heart. And he responded with superior wisdom. Somebody say superior wisdom. Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, everything of the law and of the prophets depend. If you can fulfill these ones, then you would have fulfilled every commandment that is important. Hallelujah. All right. So just as you're thinking about that, let's move to the Great Commission. In Matthew... 28, this was literally the last thing Jesus said in Matthew, which underscores the importance of what he was saying. Because this was Father and of the Son and of the Holy disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you to the very end of the age. Again, how many people love Jesus? Okay, still consistent show of hands. So, we're tying that back to God's love language now. How many of us are fulfilling this commandment? You can raise your hand, it's okay. But we love Jesus. And how many of us believe that this word was really the words of Jesus? So that is the great challenge today. If we love him, and he has already made it clear that if you love me, you obey my commandments, what is the missing gap? Why are we not comfortably raising our hands to say we are obeying the great commission? Let us go to 2 Corinthians 5, where he said, Paul was writing to the uh, Corinthian church, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Praise the Lord. I know this may make, make us somewhat uncomfortable, but it's for a reason, because I believe this is God's heart for us. I believe the Father brought this message because God doesn't change. He has never changed. And he never will. If outreach, if evangelism was critical to God 2,000 years ago, he has not changed today. 
and it's not going to change 2,000 years from now. No matter what we think, no matter what we do, no matter what we want to assume, God does not change. His expectations don't change either. And so, we all know from this word here that at some point, we will have to stand before him again to have this discussion. For those who are parents, you know that when you are, you know, perhaps you are going somewhere, if your children are old enough for them to be left at home, you give specific instructions before you leave. And then when you come back home, naturally there's always a moment of reckoning, right? Growing up, you remember those, those days when you know that you haven't done what you are supposed to do. And then you hear the sound of the car driving into the, or the gates being opened. And then you try to compress five hours worth of work <laughs> in 10 seconds. <laughs> or two hours worth of studying and math on a sheet of paper very quickly. The only thing here is that we don't know exactly when he's coming back. It will, it will be a surprise. He has already made that very clear. So he has left us with a very, very specific instruction. Going on in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Somebody say persuade others. This is part of our core responsibilities as Christians. 2 Corinthians 5.14 I'm jumping around for, to save time. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. But the emphasis there is that it is the love of God that compels us. If we say that God loves us, if we say that we love God, that love ought to compel us. If you say you love your spouse and that love does not compel you to give them gifts, won't your spouse doubt your love? If you say you love your spouse and that love does not compel them to be there for you in your moment of need. Won't you question that love? If you say you love your spouse and that love does not compel you to, I don't know, take them out for dinner. <laughs> Won't they question whether that love is true? What does the love of God compel you to do? That is the personal question today. Please ask yourself, what does the love of God compel me to do? Obviously, we are here because we love God. But beyond coming to church, what does the love of God compel you to do? We have to be able to answer this question. Because better answering it now than answering it on the day of judgment. Praise the Lord. And the one thing, good thing about God is that he said his requirements are actually not grievous. What does that mean? 
God never asks us to do something that is too much for us. He actually says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. The reason why he used that language is because back then, you know, it was a very agrarian society. The oxen that they, the, uh, ox that they used to, you know, for, for tilling the land, they put a burden on them, a, a yoke on their necks. So he's saying that the work I have called you to do, it's, it's not actually that, you know, it's not really, uh, it, it's easy because I make it easier for you. So if God has called us to reach out to people, to spread the gospel, he's saying that he has also made it easy for us to actually do that. And this brings us to the next part of um, this talk, which is the story of the Samaritan woman. I know many of us probably know that story. But God was very deliberate in including that story in the Bible. And in fact, it is one of the longest or one of the most, um, you know, detailed discussions in the Bible between Jesus and any single person. So if God decided that this episode should have this much coverage in the Bible, there must be many lessons there for us. And I pray that God will truly give us the grace to imbibe, to ingest those lessons today in Jesus' name. So, the Samaritan woman, just to paint the picture, that story should never have happened for many reasons. There were very valid very valid reasons, good explanations why that episode should never have happened. For one, Jews and Samaritans are not on talking terms. I'm not talking about, um, you know, just some slight disagreement here and there. This is deep-rooted, I guess maybe the, the analogy to our society today would be deep Racism. Originally, they were brought, you know, from the same line. They all descended from Abraham. But at some point, the Samaritans, through intermarriage and all of that, were considered to be a lesser, um, a, a lesser group within, right? Compared to the pure blood Jews. And it was so bad that at the time, if you're going from Judea, which is southern Israel, to Galilee, which is in the north, people would actually bypass Samaria, which was the direct route. Doesn't that remind you of certain things in our society today? So much animosity between people who are actually brothers. But if you go through the account of Jesus in John 4, he said, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. And we'll see why Jesus needed to go to Samaria. So in working with God... The reality is that many times 
there will be perfect reasons why we shouldn't do something. Legitimate reasons, so-called. But then the Holy Spirit will nudge carefully and say, you need to do this. That person that maybe you haven't spoken to in, in years, you need to call them. That friend that, you know, relationship has been broken, you need to reconcile with them. It was Jesus' practice to pray early in the morning. Sometimes he'll spend all night praying. And I'm going to take some uh, artistic liberty here to describe maybe what was happening around the time before the, this episode. So Jesus probably went to pray that morning. You know, it was his practice anyway, at least it was recorded that way in the Bible. And maybe he wasn't really clear what was going to go on but in the course of the day, but he just kept hearing, you know, this thought about Samaria just kept coming up in his mind. It's like, why am I thinking about Samaria? This is unusual. I don't have direct family there. I've not visited there anymore. In fact, I'm not even supposed to go through there. But he kept hearing the word Samaria, or he kept seeing a picture of Samaria in his mind. Because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Everything in the natural pointing to he does not need to do that. I'm sure even when he said to his disciples, let's go through Samaria, they were like, "Uh, Jesus, you're talking about Samaria, right? I was like, yes, Samaria. You know, we normally go through the other routes to avoid those people. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to Samaria. And then he got to Samaria and decided, you know what, um, he was going to stop by the well. In those days, the well was a popular, a popular location because everybody from the town, they're coming there to get water. So I would consider it to be somewhat of a marketplace. And it was at that place that God decided to have this encounter. A woman came to fetch water. Again, Jesus had no business talking to a woman. Back then, you don't just talk to women. (laughs) If she's not a member of your family, you don't just approach women like that in public, especially as a rabbi. I mean, like, (laughs) it was a no-no. In fact, you couldn't teach women. It was was illegal to teach women the the scriptures for him. So Jesus was literally breaking the law by preaching the word of God to this woman. And just so you know, even when his disciples came, they were like, "Um, Jesus... We should, not be, we should not be caught in this kind of situation. What are you doing talking to this woman? First of all, it's a woman. Second of all, she's a Samaritan. This can be really embarrassing. But you know, this was a woman who had been facing rejection all her life. Yet Jesus decided that the longest conversation that was going to be recorded between him and any one person directly was going to be this woman who was dealing with the baggage of rejection. 
In other words, everybody else rejected her, but Jesus said, I have time for you. Jesus is saying he has time for somebody here today. You may have gotten multiple rejections. God is saying, I have never rejected you. You see, this woman was, she had been married to five men. Or was it six? I mean, can you imagine the trauma of being married to five, six people and they've divorced you? No matter how much self-esteem you think you have, at some point you'll be like, wait, maybe it's actually me. How come I couldn't keep one of these men? Now, to make it worse, the guy that she was currently with did not even think she was worthy of marriage. He had not even offered marriage to her. Yet, Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria. I need to go to Samaria. He's saying, I need to have that conversation with you today. I need to set you free. He asked her for water. Even the woman was like, ah, sir, you are, why, why are you asking me for water? But in the course of engaging that woman, he began to reveal God's love for her. She said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who is actually asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So now Jesus is talking to her on a completely different level than she understands. It seems like a natural discussion, but Jesus is talking about spiritual things. She's like, ah, wait, living water. We are right here standing by the well of Jacob. And you don't even have anything to, you don't even have a bowl. You are talking about drawing water. Jesus said again, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. She's like, what in the world is this man? Where is he from? He doesn't even have it. I have to give him my bowl to drink. He's talking about some water that I would never, I would, I would drink and never thirst again. Then the man said, you know what, actually, wait, this water you are talking about, I, maybe she was just thinking in the natural, you know what, this one-hour journey I make here every uh, morning to fetch water for this man who has not even offered to marry me, maybe if you give me this water, I don't need to be coming here every day or every week. Maybe this will actually help my, improve my, my quality of life. Then Jesus said, Go and call your husband. He knew what she, exactly what she was thinking. Ah, the woman is like, wow. Call my husband and come back. I don't have any husband. Jesus said, I know. You're actually telling the truth. In fact, you've had five of them. Now the woman is like, okay, this is creepy. This, <laughs> first of all, this guy doesn't have... Why is he standing by the well? He doesn't even have any jar or bowl or whatever. Now he's telling me all about myself. Then the woman said, uh, Sir, I, I see you're actually a prophet. 
yeah, duh. He just <laughs> literally told you things that only, only God could have revealed to him. But there was something there already. And this is part of what's interesting about this story. Then she opened up. Then she began to reveal more. Then she said, ah, wait, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now she's tying herself to Jesus. Now she's pointing the fact that they actually have a common ancestor. Now it shows that this woman is actually not all, I mean, you know, she has some foundation in her. Let's put it that way. You don't know who that person is that you are going to meet on the street. You don't know where they are coming. You don't know where they are in their journey with God. God may just need you to provide that extra tip to get them there. Then the woman said, I'm, I'm just hopping through now to save time. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So this woman, God was already working in her. He didn't start at the well. Praise the Lord. Paul plants, Apollos waters. It is God that grants the increase. But you never know where you are in their cycle. When you meet somebody, you don't know whether you are the Paul or whether you are the Apollos. But God just needs you to be obedient to do what he's asking you to do at that very point in time. Praise the Lord. And then Jesus said, yes, that Messiah you're talking about, I am the Messiah. Can you imagine a woman that five men, six men have rejected? Nobody wants to marry. Jesus decides to reveal himself to her as the Messiah. He didn't reveal himself to the chief priest. He went for the lowest common denominator. The woman who goes to fetch water at the hottest time in the day because nobody else will be there. So she doesn't want, so, so there's less people there to laugh at her, to, to point at her, to tell all her, you know, gossip about her. Jesus decides this is the one that I want to speak to. Praise the Lord. And the story goes on and on, but for time, I will move very quickly to the end. That encounter with Jesus did something in that woman. At the end of that discussion, the woman in verse 28, the Bible says, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This woman, her life mission was changed from that very moment. That encounter with Jesus transformed her. She found purpose in her living. The reason why she came to the well was not as relevant anymore. She left the jar there. Perhaps she left it for Jesus, for them to finish lunch because they were actually hungry. But the point is, it was more important for her to go and start telling people about what just happened to her. 
And then in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Wouldn't it be wonderful and glorious the day we get to heaven where people accepted Jesus Christ because of your testimony? He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And so he stayed two days. This was not even, this was like a detour, a detour that became like a two-day detour. And because of his words, many more people became believers. They now said to the woman after the fact, probably after Jesus had left, they said, ah, we no longer believe just because of what you said, Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. Can we see why he needed to go to Samaria now? He needed to go to Samaria because of the Samaritan woman, but he also needed to go to Samaria because many more were going to hear about him and believe him and accept him. This is what God is passionate about. This is the will of God. It does not need, you don't need to go to Bible school for that. It's very obvious. God just wants more people to know him, more people to be converted, more people to to hear your testimony. That was all the woman did. She had not gone to Bible school. She was not a pastor. She was not, all she did was share her testimony. And a whole town was impacted because of her testimony. That is our job. Now, when they, after the, doing that, they will now have an opportunity to engage Jesus themselves. And then from that point, they will say exactly what the people are saying here, which is, yeah, we believe because of your testimony at first. But now, we have heard really, right? All of us who are here who are Christians today, at some point, it was you first engaged Jesus because somebody else was telling you to. But now, you have engaged him yourself and you can now say, surely, he is really the savior of the world. We're going to pause there and just be in a, in a sober tone. And I just want to reach out and ask, perhaps, you know, you are here, you are a child of God, and you don't have that joy of knowing that you are fulfilling God's commandment. You don't have that joy of knowing that your testimony is being shared. You see, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be mechanical. It can be very, very natural. I've had many experiences. (laughs) You can literally be an Uber driver. If you do, just permit me to just quickly digress there. There was a, a day I was just, you know, going in, in, a, in a cab, and I just, once I entered, I just felt like, you know, I, I, I think, I, I just felt like I should talk to this guy who was a driver. And, and I said, hi, how you doing? Oh, hello, hello, you know. And then I just had an impression. It was just a thought that just came like, this man, two young girls, like almost like a picture of two young girls just came up in my mind. And, you know, I mean, I've, 
seen this happen a few times where I know that, okay, this probably is God. So I just asked him, you know, um, I'm sorry just to, not to bother you, but do you, does, do you have two young daughters? And his face lit up immediately. was like, yes. He thought maybe I'd ridden his car before. That's how I knew that, you know, um, that's how I knew that he had. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember you. Um, you know, we, I, I was like, no, no, I've never, I've never met you actually. But God revealed this for a reason. It's like, oh, okay. He was not Christian, by the way. I think he was Muslim. And then, but he was engaged. And then the next thing, you know, I'm like, okay, God, why did you reveal this? <laughs> what are you really trying to get across to this man? And then I had a very strong, I don't know where it came from, a very strong knowing that his younger child was very sick or very um, health issues was what I heard. And then I, I said, um, is it possible that maybe your younger daughter has health issues? I mean, this guy was just already at that point was like, whoa, what is going on? And he said, um, yeah. And I said, actually, I think God is sending you, God is saying that you, you worry over her, but it is fine. She's going to live a good life and she's going to be married. And the guy was like, at that point, he was, I mean, he was visibly shaken. And I said, if you don't mind sharing, what, what, is, the, what is the situation with you? He says, she's, I think, maybe two now, but she has um, constant seizures. And then we prayed and all of that, you know, and, and I believe God is working in him. And, and, his, and, and, and his daughter is, is, has been healed. I said, look, you know, you may be a Muslim or whatever. This is not about religion. This is God reaching out to you for a very specific reason today because he wants you to know who he is. And he wants to bring salvation and peace to your family. It was a thought. Maybe the same way Jesus had a thought, Samaria. My point is that we are also able to get those same thoughts. And most likely we are already getting them. But what makes a difference is whether or not we act on those thoughts that we get. What makes a difference is whether or not we choose to take that extra step, right? Compelled by love. Once you make yourself available to God, you will be surprised at what he will do. So I believe the Father is just extending an invitation to us, to us today. He's saying... He's not here to judge, but he's here to help. He's, helped, he's here to reveal himself and his power to us and through us. If you would like to engage God on a deeper level, if you would like to fulfill the mandate that he has given you to spread your testimony, you don't have to share somebody else's testimony. Yours is enough. Yours is enough. The little boy who had five fish and... Um, uh, uh, two, two, yeah, two loaves, sorry, and, and five fish. God turned it into <laughs> a miracle. You may not think much of your personal testimony, but the thing is, it is the power of God that saved you. So we ought not to be ashamed of that. John 3, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And if he could save you, sharing that testimony will release more testimonies. 
So don't feel like you need to have evangelist title before you can share your testimony with anyone. And as you do that, I believe the Lord will move mightily. So he's calling out tonight. Please, let's bow our heads. Perhaps this word has really touched you today and you, and you want to see God elevate your walk with him. You want to begin to fulfill. It requires grace. God is not stingy with his wisdom. He said, if anyone requests, requires wisdom, ask of me. As a show of faith, you can raise your hand. And we'll just have a very short prayer. And ask that the Lord will do something new in your life. That the Lord will elevate you. That he will give you the boldness that you need to engage people. The boldness that you need to be able to be effective in this calling, which is the Great Commission. So that on that day, you will not be looking around like, um, was there anybody that I brought with me? But there will be a large contingent who are saying thank you for being a faithful servant. Please let's bow our heads. Perhaps it's for you. You don't even have that assurance that you've been saved. Again, he is not here to condemn you. He's here to save. If you don't have that assurance that if the world were to drop today, that you are going to make it to heaven, the Father is available and His grace is available to save. All we need to do is call upon the name of the Lord and we shall be saved. And so if you're in that category, please raise your hand as well. Praise the Lord. Raise your hand. And let's just have that prayer of faith. Knowing that he is faithful to forgive. And from today forward, your name will be written in the book of life. There's time. If you want to be saved, if you want to have that personal relationship with Jesus, if you want to be at a point where you can now have a testimony to share, just forget about everybody else around you. It does not matter what they think. This is all about your relationship with Jesus. You can raise your hand. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the power of the enemy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that has made us whole. And thank you, Father, mighty God, for writing our names in the book of life. We receive you as our Lord and Savior. We receive you as the director of our lives from this moment forth. In the mighty name of Jesus. For everyone who has taken a step of faith today in raising their hands, for more, for more in terms of outreach, for more effectiveness in spreading the gospel, for more effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission, 
Father, I ask that from this moment forward, Lord, they will experience a higher level of grace in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit will truly be their companion in the name of Jesus. Lord, every yoke of fear and every yoke of <laughs> everything that resists, Father, we declare the anointing breaks the yoke and they walk in newness, they walk in liberty to fulfill your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.